you, have you ever baked, baked scones without the baking powder? Right, they're still sort of scones, right? But they're not quite. Uh, they're more like um, rocks. Uh, how many people have actually done that? You've done the scones without the baking powder, right? How many people, there's always one person in the family who prefers them? Yeah, Madeline's always saying, make bake those funny scones as well, the flat ones. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but come on, I think some, if, it's, if it's not rising, if there's not a lift, we could just carry on as we are or we could actually figure out what's missing. And I think sometimes it's the Word of God. Sometimes the Word of God's not coming into our life. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, and Jesus repeats it, which is one of the, the most important parts of the Bible of the things that were said in the Old Testament that Jesus repeated, right? Uh, and one of them is this, that we don't live, we don't live just by bread alone, but we live by every word as it proceeds from the mouth of God. It's like an active proceeding. So we live by the Word of God as God's speaking to us. Right? And the, the reason he's talking bread and the Word of God is, is, is partly because in, the, in those days, bread didn't last for a week. It only lasted one day. So we don't live by bread alone, but we live by this connection, this relational, this everyday connection with the Word of God. And I just want to challenge you this morning as I'm preaching, as we read the Bible, allow the Word of God to, to impact in you, right? And think about your week. Where could you actually get a few more Bible meals in? Where could you get a few more Bible meals? And it doesn't take long. It's not a time thing. It's got nothing to do with time. It's got everything to do with the fact that the devil will do everything he can to distract you from the Word of God. He will do everything he can to distract you from it. You'll be, oh, I'm too busy this morning. Too busy on Facebook. That's what you are, right? Too, I'm too, I can't read the Bible at work. I, you know, I haven't got time. I'm really tired in the evening. Well, you know, until you build those into your world, you'll always be too tired. You'll always be too busy. But I reckon it's an essential thing that we need to build into our lives. Amen? Grab your Bible. We're going to read. Um, we're going to have uh, the Scripture up on the screen behind us as well, uh, most likely. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And uh, we did read this last week, but we're going to read a little bit further as is that okay? It'll go up on the screen, but I'll read it in. I'll read it on the screen actually, if that's all right, because I've got the wrong. I've got the wrong Bible here. Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen to two, verse eighteen. It says, "This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, who was her fiance, was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. I.e., he didn't want her to be criminalized because of what's happened. So he decided to break." the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have uh, sex with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Verse two. Oh, we've got to change chapters, do we? I am dancing. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Judea, during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands, I like that, the eastern lands, uh, arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? They went to Jerusalem because that was the capital city. And they say this, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Uh, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of all the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd, a shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child, Mary, his mother. And they stayed in, in, until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Here into the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that as you speak to us from it, Lord God, that we are transformed from glory to glory by the renewing of our minds. We pray you'd work in our hearts, work in our thinking, and transform us this morning so we can be all that you've called us to and do all that you've called us for. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Do you know, the first thing I want to point out to us from this reading is that God does big things by doing small things. God does big things by doing small things. In fact, gee, God changed the world in the smallest way possible in this Christmas story. A baby was born. I've got this, I've got this website that Duncan's going to throw up on the computer. Uh, and uh, I just want you to have a look at this. Got, You've got to understand how insignificant a baby being born is. Obviously, when it's your baby, it's very, very significant. But when it's a baby, it just looks like this. Duncan's going to throw it up here. This is not a baby picture of a baby being born. Just everybody relax. Uh, ooh. 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 That's mountains. That's like OSX mountains. Here it comes. Look at that. There we go. That's what a baby being born looks like. 
So today there's been 179,166,789 births today. Uh, but fortunately there's been 75,000 deaths, otherwise we'd get way too crowded up in here. Uh, and so the population growth for the day so far is just uh, 104,151. So has it paused? It's paused there, Duncan, has it? There we go. It takes a while to refresh every time you move it. Uh, 104,169 people just... If we can get it started again, I can talk. Look at that. There we go. 179. I just thought, I was just thinking about it when I was looking at this population clock ticking away. Uh, you know, a, a baby being born, the, a baby being born, they don't even get their own second. They're not the newest person on the earth, even for a whole second. Uh, it's probably not even half a second that they're, the, they're, the, they're the, the brand newest person on earth. For just a moment, they're the brand new thing, and then there's another baby born. And you know, the reality is when we think about how God works, God changes the world by doing tiny things. Tiny, insignificant little moments is how God works in our world. That's why it's so easy for us to miss it sometimes. That's why it sometimes feels like God's not doing anything. It's because He's working powerful, world-changing, life-changing, history-changing, future-changing, eternity-changing moments happen that quickly. Quite terrifying, the deaths one as well. It's a little bit scary as well, isn't it? One baby doesn't even get their own second. You know, uh, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like, he said that I don't know how many times. Actually, throughout the book of Matthew, which is where our reading is from, Jesus kept saying a kingdom of heaven is like, it's kingdom of heaven is like, a kingdom of heaven is like. And one of the most famous parables, a kingdom of heaven is like a farmer, but it wasn't like a farmer who plowed a field. It wasn't like a farmer who slaughtered a beast. It wasn't like a farmer who, f- who harvested field after field after field of crop. What did he say? The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sowed seed. And if you think about how God works, God works in seed. He works with a word. He works with ideas. He works with a a single person, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man who came in. In a moment, this baby was born. And I want to challenge you to think about your own life. Think about the parable of the farmer with sowing the seed. What is God wanting to do in your world? Is God at work in your world? Where is God at work in your world? Where's this brand new little thing that just for one second was the brand new thing? What did you read in your Bible this week on Wednesday that gave you encouragement? What was it? Is God at work in your world? Are your ears open to hear Him? Because Jesus said in that parable, there's four types of places where the seed would land. It would land on, on, on the path and the birds would just take it away. We're, we're, or the hard parts of the ground that have been squashed flat by walking, the birds just come and grab it. Some lands among thorns, doesn't it? Some lands on a rocky soil, so it grows up quickly and then quickly dies. And some of it lands on good soil or prepared soil, soil that's been broken up, soil that's ready to receive, soil that's ready to embrace what the seed is. And I wonder how often our hearts really are like the path or we're like the the rocky soil where we haven't dug out the issues in our life. We haven't been allowing the Holy Spirit to, to bring us to points of repentance where those rocks could be removed from our heart. But actually, we've got to do something in our world to prepare our heart because the farmer's always just scattering seed. The farmer just scatters seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who scatters seed. And he throws seed everywhere. 
He's not like a farmer who's got individual seeds that he carefully plants. He's like a farmer who scatters seed, which is how they did it in the olden days. They'd just throw the seed. And some would land on ground where it wouldn't be received. And I wonder this morning, I wonder this year, what's your condition of your heart like? I wonder what, what could you do between now and January to prepare yourself for what 2016 really is? I wonder what you need to do. I wonder what you could do. I wonder what, it would, wonder what you'd do if it was life or death. If hearing God's voice and following Him and allowing Him work in your world, if it was life or death, I wonder how we'd approach it. I don't know if you ever had to take medication. I have to take medication at the moment. And uh, I have to take medication every day. Who would have thought that that was a hard thing to do? I have to take this. I have to take three pills. They're all different sizes, which is good because then you can tell which one's which. I have to take three pills. I have to swallow them. It takes about, I don't know how long it takes, 30 seconds. It doesn't take 30 seconds. It takes one second. Well, sometimes it takes longer, and it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. It's just sometimes you get the timing wrong. Actually, when I got up this, this before, I had chewing gum in my mouth. I was like, there's always a bit of a worry with the microphone. He's like, so I swallowed it. And, you know, so that could be, it could be, it could be terrible, can't it? You know, when something's huffing. Half out. Do you remember when you were a kid when you were first eating spaghetti? Anyhow, <laughs> people are looking visibly ill. But you know, I have to take my medication to keep my blood pressure down because it was as high as blood pressure goes. So I have to keep my blood pressure down for my health, right? So I have to take the pills to keep my heart going right, right? But can I remember to do it every day? No. I wonder how we'd approach God if it was more life and death. I wonder, I wonder how we'd approach our quiet time and inviting the Word of God into our heart, inviting the presence of Jesus into our day. Because I want to tell you that it's more life and death than anything else you do in your day. You, getting your wheat bix in, how many people go to work? I, I, I meet people all the time that, oh, I forgot to eat breakfast. I, there's no time. There's not been a single day in my whole life where I've forgotten to eat breakfast. There's very few times when I have not, you know, some, there's a couple, literally two or three times when I've been forced to not eat breakfast. But usually I'll move heaven and earth in every schedule in between to make sure I get breakfast, right? How many people are with me when it comes to breakfast, right? I've got a friend, Evan Cowan. He's one of those creative types, makes websites and does design stuff and does lighting, all that sort of stuff. He, sometimes he'll go for a day or a day and a half and, and forget to eat. He, the evidence of it is in his body. He, you know, he's 57 kilos and fully grown, right? But the reality is I've never forgotten to eat, right? But sometimes I forget to read my Bible, which shows I don't really understand what the Word of God is. I, I, I've, never, I've never forgotten to, to, to tell a joke if I'm hanging out with my friends, but sometimes I'll forget to pray, right? The reality is we've got to understand our connection with God and the work of God in our life, even though it's tiny, is making all the difference. It's the thing that's making the difference. And we've got to not despise it. We have to actually honor what God is doing, right? How many people um, have noticed that when we pray for God things, big things, God does small things? This baby Jesus was the culmination of the whole history of the nation Israel. It was actually a culmination of God's plan from creation right through to redemption. It's huge, right? There's been people praying for the Messiah for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. After generation. 
which is why we wrap presents and put them under a tree. Did you know that? We wrap presents and we put them under the tree and we torture the children, don't we? We have this four-year-old in our house, Lucia, and she's like, is it Christmas tomorrow? <laughs> why can't I open the presents? Because we're waiting, because we're remembering the fact that all the whole world had to wait for Jesus and was waiting and waiting and waiting. We bought our big kids bikes for Christmas, so they're going to have to look at the bikes. I can remember when I was 13, I got a surfboard for Christmas. I bought it on the trade and exchange, which is the pre- precursor to the trade me. And, uh, and I bought my surfboard, and it, had, it stayed in my, par- my, the parent, my parents' bedroom in the corner for a whole month and a half because I bought it. Uh, we got it on the trade exchange in, in the middle of November. But what are we doing? We're remembering the fact that we're waiting for God to do something. We're waiting for God to do something, and then it looks like this. A baby is born in a manger. And you know, I wonder how often we're praying for God to do these big things and He's actually already doing it. Praying for the job that we want. God's already working. And we need to start seeing Him at work. Amen? Do you know, the next thing I want to point out to you, so the first thing was that God does, God does little things to change the world. Uh, the, the second thing we've got to understand is that little things are hard to find. Do you know, I was trying to think of an illustration of this and I remembered a time when I was near a haystack, haystack and I dropped a needle. And it took me ages to find it. And I was reminded of the fact that little things are hard to find. In fact, it can be like finding a needle in a haystack, which is something that I don't think anyone in history has ever tried to do. If you buy the haystack, let's imagine you're in a haystack. Let's say you're hiding in a haystack, and you're playing with one of your needles in your needle collection. <laughs> Have you noticed this? It's like finding a needle in a haystack. What do you mean? It's like something no one would ever do. Right? If you drop an, even if you were, like, even if you were carelessly playing around with the needles in a haystack, hey, I'm in a haystack and I'm just hanging out with needles. And you were to drop the needle in the haystack, would you even look? Oh, I've got to find it. No, you just get another needle. Right? But sometimes little things, not sometimes, all the time, little things are hard to find. I, lo- I love these characters, the wise men, the magi magicians from the east and they actually came they says they're from eastern lands but they're from different they were actually history not history tradition teaches that they were from different locations they were from different directions and they converged together right and that these are wise men like they're uh that says they're they're wise men or they're, they're magicians they're, these are learned people right so we we think wise man magician we think you know pointy hat etc right but these were the high, the most educated people on earth at the time they came from the east it says so they're either from babylon or they're from further even uh east more, more ancient more developed civilization than israel itself right and they travel to see this newborn king of the jews Right, because they've seen it in the stars. Their, their, their understanding of how the stars work is pointed to the fact that this king is going to be born. They've got this secret knowledge, right? They've got this hidden knowledge, and they've got this ability to study. And, and based on the fact that King Herod killed all the babies two years old and under, says that these guys have been traveling for some time to see this baby, right? From when the time the star first appeared, they've been traveling, they've been searching, they've been seeking. And the reality is if you're going to find what God's doing, it's going to take that. It's going to require you to seek. It's going to require you to go looking. It's going to require you to travel. You're going to have to make a journey. Well, we're all on a journey, brother. How many people have heard that? Well, everyone's on a journey. Well, the reality is some people are not on a journey. Some people are sitting on their chuff, right? 
We're, but we all got to get on a journey. I understand that. Come on, we're here equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. One of the things we've got to do if we're going to live the life God's called us to, right, which is everyone's desire, isn't it? That's what you really want. That's what you really need. That's what you're really frustrated about is that you're not living the life God designed for you yet. Come on, we've got to get on the road. Well, I could never, I could never live the life God's called me to. You certainly can't live the life God's called you to sitting on your chuff. Right? You've got to get up and get moving, right? You've got to move towards what God's doing. You've got to lean in with your ears and hear what God's saying. I don't know what God's saying. Well, you're going to have to lean in further. I still can't hear what God's saying. You're going to have to lean in further. How are you going to hear what God's saying? You might have to read the Bible. Well, I read some of the Bible and I still don't know what God's saying. Do you know what you might have to do? You might have to read the Bible until you hear something. I heard of one pastor, and he does his daily devotions like this. He gets up in the morning at 6 o'clock, he starts reading the Bible until God speaks to him. Then he goes to work. Now, you can do these sorts of things if you're a pastor. Some of you get fired for that. Some pastors would get fired for that. Sometimes he goes to work at 10 in the morning because he's been reading and reading and reading to try and hear God. I'm not suggesting you do that, but, but where's your heart at? Are you like these wise men, prepared to study, prepared to research, prepared to find some knowledge, prepared to seek after it? I already don't know what God's got for my life. If you don't know what God's got for your life between, from, from 2016 onwards, you don't have any idea at all. Do you know what? God's not not saying it. He's not keeping it a secret. God's got a plan, and the, we know this all through the Bible. It's tattooed on Putty's arm. God's got a plan for your life, right? God's got a plan for your life, and he's prepared to tell you what it is. He's even prepared to give you advice and hints about how to move into it, right? He actually has. I'm not joking around. It's not just one of the things we say in church, right? Where it's actually what we believe. God has a plan for your life. And if you lean in, you can hear enough of it to get going in the right direction. What you never need is you never need all the details. Because if you had all the details, you wouldn't go anyway, right? But the reality is all you need is enough to get you moving. Like these guys, they saw a star. They moved towards it. They they talked to the king. They got some more information. And they pursued this thing that God is doing. Come on, what's God started in your life? Come on, pursue it across the summer. We've got to pursue it because it's hard to find. I don't really know what God's done. Come on, do you know, some prayer and some reflection on the year, you'll be able to see it. Have a think about some things maybe you've written in your journal. If you haven't got a journal this year, start one for next year. So at least at the end of next year, you can go back to your journal and hear what God is doing. Read it back through. Find it out. One, uh, one of the pastors in the Philippines is an awesome guy. His name's Ace. If, if you're going to name a child, Ace is a great name. And you have to get them a helmet, bicycle helmet that says Ace on the side, wouldn't you? Ace. You have to get it like that every time I say it. Anyhow, Ace, even one of the pastors, he, um, he was talking with Pastor Bruce, and, and it, was before, uh, it was before he was part of what we're doing as equippers. And he was 
talking with Pastor Bruce, and all around the world, uh, pastors who are in their, in their 30s and uh, 40s and even 20s, 30s, 40s, are connecting with Bruce more and more. Places like Slovakia, um, Albania, uh, there's a guy in Rome who leads six churches, there's people in Northern Europe, uh, these are the guys in the Philippines, there's uh, people in uh, uh, Nigeria now and Uganda, uh, there's people all over, right, uh, California, all connecting with Pastor Bruce and saying, hey, how can you help us? And so this, the whole Equipus family is expanding beyond New Zealand. That's not really a New Zealand thing anymore. And in fact, it won't be very, very long until it's much bigger outside of New Zealand than it is now, right? Uh, because funnily enough, New Zealand's not that big. Uh, it's big for us. It's a big deal for us, right? Uh, but it's a small part of the world. But uh, one of the guys is this guy, Ace, and he, a couple of years ago, he was talking with Bruce and talking, what is Equippers and how does it work and how could we relate and can you help us? We really need oversight. We need connection. We need input, right? All these cool things that you want in your own life. A church needs that as well. So the, the, Pastor Bruce having this conversation and, and Ace's wife suddenly remembered something she'd written in a journal at a moment where she was writing stuff down and praying and seeking God and leaning in. And she races to her bedroom, comes back with her journal from eight years ago, an eight-year-old journey, a journal. And, she, and, and in it, she find, finds her and says, um, people from New Zealand will help your husband. They will equip him. Isn't that cool? And you know the 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 Equipus Church in Manila is eight hundred is it it's eight hundred people on a Sunday morning now. They've been going for two years. Right? How many people know that God was working all the long for eight years? Did that eight that church of eight hundred did it grow in two years? No, it's actually grown over ten years. Because eight years ago, God starts speaking, and probably before that, God's working in tiny little ways. Come on, lean in. Do you know God's got a plan for you and you? He's got a plan for all of us. God hasn't got a plan for pastors. He's got a plan for His people. Individually, there's a role that you can play in the world that no one else can play. If you don't play your role, God's going to have to get the second someone in who's supposed to be doing something else that it creates roster chaos in heaven. Right, But there's a role for you to play, maybe in New Zealand, maybe in another country in the world, maybe in church, but definitely somewhere. There's, there's seven key places where you could be outworking your role, in government, in business, in the arts and entertainment, in sports, in education, in medicine, or in the church. There's a role for you to play in a, in a culture-shaping way that's probably tiny, but it's incredibly significant. And only you can do it. And the tiny things you do in your workplace are going to change the world. But they're hard to find. Everyone say it's hard to find. Takes commitment, takes cost, takes knowledge, takes research, takes study. Right? So we've got the wise men. But in the other Christmas story, there's not just the wise men. There's also shepherds. And hey, the shepherds are here for normal people like you and me. We don't have secret knowledge. We're not really, really smart. We're not very diligent. We're not studying. Right? We're shepherds, and we're asleep in the fields. So the wise men, they see a star, and they begin to search. The shepherds see 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing, right? So maybe you're someone who can, you know, the subtle image, the subtle things of God will catch your attention. Maybe you're a shepherd, and God has to send a whole band, right? Let's get the attention of the shepherds, right? They're not studying. They're not thinking. They're just busy. Maybe you're more of a doer. 
come on, God wants to appear like an angel to you and speak to you something you can understand. How many people know that that's true? God can appear to you and speak like an angel. And blah, 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 blah. Noel, they all shouted, no! It was obviously the shepherd's name. But here's the trick. Here's the trick. Whether it's a subtle little voice or an angel appears, the, the thing that prevents you from pursuing what God's saying, what, what God's doing, the thing that's going to prevent you is not that you don't understand. It's not that you can't hear. Because anyone can hear 10,000 angels. The, the, the angels come to the shepherds and the angels, the angels tell them. This is where it gets tricky. This is where the Bible gets tricky. There's all these bits where people get told to do stuff. This is where it falls down in your life and my life. We can hear you, God, but you seem to be bossing us around. I can hear what you're saying, God, but something in me doesn't really like being told what to do. In the Quarry Mobile petrol station, I prefer to drive in in the driveway that has the arrow pointing out, and I prefer to drive out the driveway that has the arrow pointing in. I think I would change it all around if they swapped the signs. I would drive in the other one and out the other, because there's something in me that is quite perverse and likes to do it the wrong way. I think I'd, I think my traffic design for that mobile petrol station wouldn't, because it's stupid, you shouldn't have to come out right by the lights. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If it's right by the lights, there's people lined up, I don't like it. I prefer to go out the other way. But if they change the signs around, I'd probably change my opinion about what was the right way to go out. Now, see, the shepherds and the wise men both had to overcome this natural human desire to not do what you're told. And if we don't overcome that thing in our heart that says, I'm not going to do what I'm told, then we'll never be able to achieve what God's called us to do. Right now, God's speaking to you, and part of your heart will always resist. God will always use people more stupid than you to tell you what to do. They'll be less qualified. God will always use someone who doesn't really understand where you're coming from. They don't really understand your culture. They don't really understand what it's like in your job. They don't really understand what it's like growing up in your family. And they'll say, say, say things to you like, come on, you need to do this. Come on, you need to do that. Or you need to go to Bible college. Or you need to get into your Bible. Or you need to be at church every week, right? They'll say stuff like that. And it'll be very, very easy for you to just say, well, what do they know? Well, they don't know anything. That's why God chose them. Because God wanted to test your heart. Could you hear him telling you what to do through a pastor? Well, I don't like pastors. They're always telling me what to do. They're just telling you God's stuff. I don't really want to go to an e-group because it's always really challenging. Well, do you know what? Stay where you are. But if you want to move forward, you want the work of God to increase in your world, be in an e-group. If you're an e-group leader, come on, turn up the volume. Start bossing people around. What could possibly go wrong? I was visiting a church once, visiting, I was visiting a church once, and the pastor, one of the pastors got up and was talking about the church was going to be fasting. How do you know what fasting is? Fasting is where you don't eat for a certain period of time, and you to focus your spirit and your soul and your body on prayer, right, and connecting with God, right? When I talk about fasting, I always say, those of us who, who, who feel like it, we're going to be fasting. You know, have a thing about whether you want to join us on the fast. This pastor just said, we're all fasting from Monday do not forget, 
do not eat from Monday to Friday. We are all fasting. And she pointed at some specific people who clearly had struggled in the past. And after the service, I said to the pastor, because I, be, I was trying to be helpful, I said, yeah, I always uh, make sure that when I talk about fasting that it's optional because I think it's important for people to choose. And the pastor looked at me with utter disgust and she just said this, well, is that good for them or not? Come on, in your, if you're an e-group leader, and a bunch of you guys are, if you're an e-group leader, if it's good for someone, tell them it. Come on, you tell your kids that, so tell these e-group, the e-groupers that. If someone in the e-group is spouting something off that's just nonsense, just say, come on, that's not real. That's not true. Come on, what's God really saying? Come on, because we've got to move forward, don't we? The angels came to the shepherds and they said, get up. Well, we're sleeping. Get up. Go to Bethlehem. I don't want to go to Bethlehem. I've got to look after my sheep. Go and find the baby. Where's the baby? In Bethlehem. Where? In Bethlehem. How do we find the baby? Is there a baby here? No. Is there a baby here? No. Is there a baby here? No. How many doors are you going to knock on in the middle of the night in a town that you're not really from when you're a shepherd? The reason the shepherds were sleeping outside was because they stunk like sheep. They weren't allowed in the town. The town was for people who had town jobs. Shepherds stayed out of town because shepherds smelled way too much like sheep. But come on, wherever you're at, the thing that's preventing, one of the things that's preventing you from, the the thing that's preventing you from following God and and, and the work of God growing in your world is the simple fact that you don't like doing what you are told. Amen? Amen? Why do people have a problem with tithing? Because it's too, it's just too discreet. Well, I just think we should give. I think you should give, totally. But God says give 10%. Why does God say 10%? Because you can measure it. Why does God want you to measure it? Because he wants you to do what you're told. Why does he want you to do what you're told? Because he wants to lead you into this life that's specifically designed for you. Uh, Amen? Very, very good. That's my cue. Um, Point number three is this, that it's easy to kill things when they're small. Uh, Herod goes on this rampage in, in, in Matthew chapter 2, 16 to 18. It's pretty, it's one of the bits in the Bible that's actually pretty gruesome. The, the slaughter of the innocents is the heading in my Bible. The slaughter of the innocents. Oh, that sounds fun. The same thing happened, we know, when Moses was born, don't we? Moses was born in a period where, where, where innocent lives were being slaughtered. And we live in a culture today that slaughters innocent lives. Young lives that are destroyed in, in greater numbers now than ever in Herod's time. Much greater, much greater numbers than Pharaoh's time. These young lives are destroyed, either literally or sort of figuratively. And the reality is this, the devil is at work in your world trying to kill the work of God. When you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to read my Bible, that's not a, that's not a passive decision. That's not like, will I have cornflakes or wheat bakes? The decision to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to set my day right in the presence of God. I'm going to honor Him and I'm going to honor His Word. That's an offensive decision. You're reshaping the reality around your life. When you do that, you displace the devil. 
When you say, I'm going to go into my workplace with an attitude that honors God and honors the boss and honors the workmates around me, I'm going to bring the love of God into this place in a deliberate and visible way. When you do that, you are displacing the devil. It's In the 90s, we used to talk all the time about spiritual warfare. These are acts of spiritual warfare. These are acts of defiance. I'm going to be polite in traffic. Every, when, you, when you make those decisions, when you make a commitment, like I'm going to give, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to support the work of God in Wellington. I'm going to, I'm going to set myself my day right. When you make these decisions, you're displacing the enemy, which is why you always get resistance. You'll always get resistance when you're displacing the enemy. Either if, if it's an internal displacement where you say, I'm not going to tolerate. And you know, when you have, the, you know, when you catch yourself in a bad attitude with a bad attitude and you think, I'm not going to tolerate this attitude anymore. How many of you know, yeah, if you're going to change your attitude, you're going to have to go to war. You can't just think, well, tomorrow I'm going to wake up happy. No, you're going to have to go to war, Right? Some people are looking at me, you don't like, maybe you don't believe me. The reality is, come on, this is war. This is for real. The farmer scatters seeds and the birds are waiting. God's been working all year and the birds are waiting. Come on, the, the Herod tries to destroy the young life. Come on, the young life of God in your world. Come on, what the question you've got to ask yourself, the question I'm building up to this morning is, what are you doing to actually nurture the work of God in your world? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 says, We need to not give the devil a foothold. Because God works in little ways, and so does the devil. He gets in with little attitudes or little thoughts or shifts in our behavior, or we change our own, our, our own standards. What? Massively? No, no one's going to run off from here this week, steal a million dollars, shoot five people. Like that. None of us are going to do that. Right? But all of us are under pressure every single day to drop our standard from where we know God's spoken to us. Because God's spoken to all of us differently about where we need to be living. But the pressure from the enemy comes to, oh, no, you don't need to worry about that. Oh, it doesn't really matter. You don't really, oh, getting up at six o'clock to read the Bible. You don't need to do that. Come on. All these pressures that come, and they always come against what God has spoken to test whether we are, are we going to hold on to that seed? Are we going to draw it into our life and are we going to sustain it? If you think about it for long, you'd have to agree with me that Mary and Joseph are easily the two human beings who have carried the greatest responsibility ever. The salvation of the human race, the salvation of God's people out of the earth, the, the restoration of creation and the created order of God came down to their ability to look after a small baby. It came down to their ability. Have you looked after a small baby? It's a bit of a responsibility. Do you know it's a challenge today with wet wipes and antiseptic? Because the baby's tiny and can do nothing to defend itself, feed itself, look after itself, care for itself. As it gets bigger, it puts more and more energy into killing itself. It tries to fall off things. It tries to eat poisons. It tries to put its fingers in light uh, power sockets, right? The ba- the, this baby's got this, this destruction all around the baby ready, waiting to happen. 
It's not. It's, it, it's, it's surprising any of us make it to five years old, right? The first time, the first time, I can't even remember which of our children it was, one of our children. The first time we knew they could stand up was when Chrissy came into the living room and the baby was standing on the tray of the high chair. Oh, the baby can stand up and escape the high chair buckles, right? But come on, what about Mary and Joseph? What about the attitude that they must have carried? What about Mary's heart for this baby growing up, this child growing up? Do we have that same sort of heart for what God's doing in us, what God's wanting to release in us? Come on, maybe it's, maybe you're not responsible for the salvation of the whole world, but part of God's plan is locked up in you. Part of what God wants to do in Wellington or wherever you're from is locked up in your ability to nurture the little things He does in your heart, the words that He speaks to you, the revelation that He brings to you, to, to look after it, protect it, to nurture it, and to feed it. How well? Are you nurturing those things in your world? Amen. Why don't you stand your feet, musicians? Why don't you come? We will finish with a song in just a second. But before we do that, we'll pray. Is that all right? Maybe close your eyes. Maybe lift your hands if you're feeling brave. But I don't know about you, but I think it's a challenging thought to think about all the little things that God is wanting to do in our world and how often we find ourselves too busy to really pay attention to it. Just as everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, maybe you want to respond. And I'd love you to respond if you're here and you're saying, actually, I think I could do a better job. I think I could reorganize my life. Maybe you're here and you're even thinking across the summer, I'm praying, I'm praying this all the time for our church, that across the summer that we'd grow. Across the summer holidays, hopefully you get some time off work. Even if you just get the statutory holidays, hopefully in this one day here or that one day you get some extra time to to press into the Word of God or you get some time to pray that you haven't had time all year. And I'm just, I'm really believing that we're going to come back into 2016, not just relaxed and refreshed and having had a holiday, but with renewed vision, with renewed insight, with a renewed understanding of what God is doing. So let's lift our hands. I'd like you to pray where you're standing. Even make some decisions before God and say, God, I'm inviting you back into my world in a bigger way. Maybe this morning you need the angels singing. Well, I've been I've been preaching pretty directly at this. I pray that you're hearing God say, come on, get up and move to where God is. Move to where God's doing something great. Maybe you need to reposition. I really believe this is a word of knowledge that God's speaking to some tonight, today, that you need to reposition your life like those shepherds. You need to hear the angels sing this morning. Noel, Noel, hear the angels sing. Come on, get up and go and find out what God is doing. Hear God, find Him, see Him. Maybe some of you have been traveling and you've been seeking and you've get tired on the road. Come on, well, I really believe that God's going to renew in you the encouragement to say, come on, you've got to find what God is doing. You've got to present those gifts and see God work. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray you to move right across this room. Lord, I know that this morning you've been speaking into each and every one of our lives. You're our teacher. You're our guide. And Lord, I just pray that as we soften our hearts in your word, as we soften our hearts in your presence, Lord God, you'd shift us. Lord God, you'd change us. Lord God, you'd move us from where we stuck, Lord God, into what you've called us to. Lord God, I pray for a renewed vision in each and every heart. Lord God, that wherever we're stuck, Lord God, help us unstick. Lord God, help us to move forward in everything. You have called us to, in Jesus' name we pray. Lord God, we know, Lord God, that the lives of many depend upon our ability to hear you, Lord, our ability to pursue you. Just while everyone's got their heads bowed and eyes closed, before we finish and close with the song.
perhaps you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. And maybe you did make that decision way back in the past, but for perhaps for whatever reason, you've walked away from God and you find yourself back in church this morning. Well, here's a good opportunity to, to really invite Jesus into your heart again, or for the first time, acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. I've asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads so that's just me looking. But if this morning you wanted to dedicate your life to Jesus, you want to commit your life to Him, and you wanted to take this opportunity in church to say, yeah, I want to make my life center, I want my center, to center my life around the purposes of Christ. If that's you right now, everyone's got their heads bowed and eyes closed. Why don't you just shoot your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And then when people have had a chance to respond, uh, we'll pray and then we'll close our service. But if that's you, just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, this morning I wanted to rededicate. Or this morning I want to commit my life to Christ. I invite God to be part of my world. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down and, and then we're going to pray. So I haven't seen anybody's hand yet, but if that's you, just make it really clear for me. Otherwise, we're going to close in just a few seconds. So. It's very good. Very good. Awesome. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. And Lord, I pray that in our hearts, Lord God, your word would be sealed. Lord, we think of the attitude of Mary who, when the angels spoke to her, when the wise men came, when the shepherds came, the gospel writers tell us that she treasured those things in her heart. Lord God, I pray that you'd call to mind those things you've spoken to us, even in the last month or so, Lord God, that we'd treasure them in our heart. We'd allow them to grow. We'd allow them to come to maturity. We'd allow them to flourish in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Well, we're going to finish with a song of praise. Is that, is that all right? We're going to finish by praising God. And it is the Santa Parade. That's why it's sunny. Uh, and uh, But I'm pretty sure there's morning tea as well. So we'd love, let's stay around, hang around and connect and, and uh, enjoy that morning tea. Is that cool? Thank you, Ben. Why don't you lead us?